right, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 this evening. I have really been enjoying studying prayers from the Bible. And we've looked at a couple of prayers in the New Testament. And then we went to the book of Jonah. And we looked at Jonah's prayer from the belly of the, the great fish, the whale. And we looked at Solomon's prayer of dedication at the temple today. Tonight, we're going to look at Psalm 51 and David's prayer of repentance. David's prayer of repentance. And Psalm 51 is a powerful psalm. We know the background, and you can read a little bit about that, even in the subtitle uh, at the top there. I would imagine your Bible has the subtitle, has the little bit of explanation there at the top. And we read there that this is... In the context of when Nathan the prophet came to David and said, Thou art the man. And David, of course, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had conspired to murder and having Uriah on the front lines and die in battle. And placed him there by direct order from the king to try to cover up his sin. We know the story well. And... David, in Psalm 51, after Nathan confronted him, David prayed this psalm, and we see this prayer of repentance. It's uh, a difficult psalm in one sense, because the, the agony of David's soul, of David's heart, as he pours out his heart to the Lord, and I would imagine that all of us have been there at some point, if we're genuine believers, I would say that there's a lot of this psalm that speaks to us that we relate to uh, because I know I've gone to this psalm on many occasions where I know I have failed my, my Lord and my God and I have had to pray through this psalm and pray in repentance of my sin and my failures and so this is a wonderful psalm and we read in Psalm 51 in verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We see, first of all, in this psalm, David's prayer for cleansing. He was dirty in the sinful wicked, evil acts that he had committed, he was a dirty man. And that's the way we as believers should feel when we sin. There should be the guilt. Uh, guilt is an exercise of the soul. And guilt can only be relieved through the blood of Jesus Christ, through fellowship with God restored. And we see David here, feeling dirty. And as believers, when we have sinned against uh, 
our God, that should be the way we feel. There should be an agony. There should be guilt. There should be a sense of dirtiness. If there is no sense of a need for cleansing, if there's no sense of dirtiness, of guilt, what does that say about our relationship with God? For people who continue in that state and sin is nothing to them, more than likely they're not a true child of God. And people who live in a habitual pattern of sin and it not bother them, there never seems to be any guilt or any feelings of dirtiness, of, of a need for cleansing, then there's a good indication that that person's not truly a child of God. Here's David, and he senses the guilt. He has pains in his soul. Psalm 32, we're in Psalm 51. Psalm 32 is another psalm parallel to Psalm 51, where we see how sin affects the believer's spirit, their soul, their in, inward man. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Those are descriptive words of a believer who is not right with God. And if there is no sense of a roaring of the bones on the inside, of a lack of moisture, if there's no sense of heaviness, if there's not the guilt of sin, then there's a question about whether that person truly knows the Lord, if they're truly a child of God. In a parent-to-child relationship, I would imagine, whether by experience as a child or whether as a parent, we've understood those feelings of a broken fellowship, a broken relationship. And sometimes it's our child gets picked up from school, we pick them up from school, or they get home from school, and there's something wrong. There's a guilt there's a silence, there's something that we know is not right. And we know maybe they got in trouble at school. And if they are the guilty party, or if they've been a part of that, and there's the 20 questions, and then there's the phone call from the teacher or the principal, or the note that was written in the student's planner, the agenda, and then there has to be all of that worked out. And there's those confessions, that have to take place, the apologies, the true repentance, and those things have to be fixed. And then maybe it has something to do with a issue at home between mom and dad, between siblings. And those things have to be made right. And sometimes as parents, we have to help our children understand the wrong by taking them in a sense and showing them their sin. I don't mean this in a mean way, but when we were training our dog, when I was little, my dad would take the dog when it would mess in the house and rub its nose in the you-know-what to teach the dog to not do its business in the house. 
Okay? Now, I don't mean that we treat our children that way, okay? But it's important sometimes for us as parents to show our kids their sin. It's not easy. It's hard. It's one of the most painful things to do as a parent. But to sit down with your child and to explain to them from the Word of God how they have violated God's law. And I have said it a hundred times to my kids and even to students that I've had to deal with, young people. I love you. God loves you. But here's what God's Word says. And it is hard sometimes when we go in and there's the broken fellowship, the broken relationship, and in order to get that restored, sometimes it means a corporal punishment. Sometimes it means some sort of timeout or grounding or some sort of consequence that hurts. But if our children never feel the hurts and the pain of sin, why will they ever need to see the need for a savior? Why will they ever want to be saved if they don't ever sense the guilt of their sin and the pain that it causes? David poignantly describes the pain of his sin and the need that he has for cleansing. We get dirty working on the car, working out in the yard, and sometimes we joke around. Uh, my boys will come in all sweaty from a practice or from working in the yard, and they'll go over and they'll give their mom a big hug, a big sweaty, smelly hug. And Kelly smooches them right back. No, she, she's like, get away from me. <laughs> she's pushing them away. Go take a shower. Well, there's a repugnance to that smell, to that dirtiness. And yet, as believers, sometimes we walk around with that stench, that smell of the world. And in some cases, there's very little effect from the sin. Either that person is not right with God in, in some serious terms, or that person is, is not saved at all. But there's a stench of the world on too many Christians' lives. Too much sin that's harbored and excused and not dealt with properly. David, when confronted with his sin, he didn't make excuses. He, in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51, he describes his sin in some very specific terms. He acknowledged his sins. Look at the, the words that are used here. Trans, transgression or transgressions in verses 1 and 3. This word transgression literally means rebellion. In some cases, it's used to refer to a national revolt, a mutiny, an insurrection. So that's a strong word. When we transgress the law of God, sin is, in the New Testament, described as a transgression. This is a rebellion. This is a rebellious act, a revolt, an insurrection against God. Ooh, we don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. Me act in an insurrection. Now, that word insurrection gets thrown around way too much nowadays. I mean, we as Bible-believing Christians, conservative politics, you so much as say one negative thing or word of disagreement against 
leftist liberals and it's an insurrection, right? You know, they use the strongest terms. It's violence, it's hate, and on and on it goes. And we're not to make light of that word in the real sense of it, in the biblical understanding of it, because transgression is a rebellion. It's an insurrection against God and his law and God's character and who he is and his authority. That's some serious language. We see in verses 2, 5, and 9, he uses the word iniquity. This is perversity. This is moral evil. We've lost our sense of sin in this culture in which we live. I mean, we get a trophy and a ribbon just for showing up. We've got to be good people. I mean, we've got to be wonderful people. We're so wonderful that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us because we're, we were such wonderful people. I mean, that's the attitude that's even permeating in some churches and in evangelicalism in general, this attitude that we are such wonderful people that God just couldn't wait to send Jesus to die on the cross for us because we were so wonderful and so worthy to die for. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are told in Scripture that barely for a good man would someone even dare to die much less for a sinner, for an evil person. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are unworthy, and we have to see our sin as iniquity, as rebellion, as perversity, as a moral evil. We have perverted God's law. We have perverted ourselves in our sin, perverted our way, and we need to Confess that to the Lord. We need cleansing from that. The word sin, which we uh, use regularly and we know well, it means offense. We have offended a holy God. And we've all experienced offensive words or offensive actions. We know what it's like to be offended. And it hurts sometimes, doesn't it? It hurts deeply. Well, we have offended a holy God. We have sinned against a holy God. We have offended him, and yet he still loved us enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die for us. But do we see our sin as an offense? And then evil. This is a grievous wrong, a calamity. This is how David describes his sin. Now we'll be glad to say, oh yeah, your adultery, your conspiracy to murder, yeah, that's what that is. But you think about it, in the violation of the law of God, even that little lie we told earlier today over the phone, even that little theft that we had at work, even that little harsh word that we had for our spouse or for our kids or toward the driver who cut us off or that expletive that sort of kind of accidentally came out as we were playing that ball game or whatever it might be. Well, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. At least I'm not like that guy on the news that we saw who committed those heinous crimes. At least I'm not like that person that I saw on the fake reality TV show that was doing those horrible deeds, or at least I'm not doing what I vicariously participate in as I watch it on the TV screen sometimes. That's how we justify ourselves, don't we? And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive and step on toes, but this is about me. I got four fingers pointed at me every time I point one at you. I got four pointing right back at myself, at least four. Um, you know, we, we, we are, we're all guilty is what I'm saying. But do we see our sin the way David 
in his prayer of repentance, he did not mince words. He did not say, well, I made a mistake. It was a bad day. It was a rough day. God, I, I know that I meant well. Would you have a little bit of mercy on me? Because I, I really meant well. It was just a bad day. You know, I was out on that rooftop and it, it just was an accident. Is that how David approached his sin? Well, Uriah, he was, he was, a, he was, he was not a worthy soldier anyway. If he had been a really good soldier, he would have survived that battle. Even if I put him on the front line. It was really Uriah's fault. Is that how David approached it? Oh, it was Bathsheba's fault. She was the one who tempted me. It was Bathsheba's fault. She's the one who agreed to come to my house. Do we see that in Psalm 51? We don't see Uriah and Bathsheba named. David says, I sinned. I committed this transgression, this iniquity, this sin, this evil. He is guilty before God and he admits it. He acknowledged his sins. He affirmed God's character in verses 4 through 6. We read those verses earlier. He speaks to the very character of God. And the fact that God knows him even down to his inward parts. And in verse 5, he's not saying that he was born as an illegitimate child. He's not saying that his mom uh, bore him in sin. He's saying he was a sinner from birth. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying I am a sinner by birth, is what David is saying there in uh, verse number 5. Verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God desires our holiness. And God knows us, even in our hidden parts. He wants us to know his wisdom, his word. And then we see that he asks for cleansing, as we just read there in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a leafy plant that was used in the sacrificial system of the Mosaic Law. It was used for sprinkling blood or sprinkling water in the various sacrifices. So by using the word hyssop, He's symbolizing cleansing and forgiveness. So then we see also that David longed for restoration. He confesses his sin very clearly, very openly. He sees his sin the way God sees it. He despises it. He loathes his sin. He calls it what it is. He's ashamed of his sin. He's guilty before God, and he confesses his sin in repentance and we see the other half of the attitude of repentance. We see the other side of the coin, so to speak. The longing for restoration. This might be considered the looking in faith. The replacement principle, even. Here's David longing for restoration. He wanted his joy restored and his spirit renewed. Verses 8 through 15, or verses 8 through 12, we see specifically he wants his joy restored and his spirit renewed. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Speaking even again to the effects of sin. There's a loss of joy. There's a loss of gladness. There's a physical effect to sin. And I know it's also symbolic of the spiritual brokenness, but there's bones that are broken. Uh, that he's referring to. So there is even a physiological aspect to sin that can even, and a psychological effect to sin that can be renewed. And again, I don't mean that there's no true biological cause 
for mental illness. Of course, there are times where there are literal biological, physiological reasons for mental illness. But many times, the mental illness is directly the result of sin and the guilt of sin. There's a lady out in California who drove her car at 130 miles an hour through a busy intersection and killed six people, including a mother eight and a half months pregnant. If you've watched the video, it's, it's difficult to watch. Six people died. And she's pleading that she's mentally ill and that she didn't know what she was doing. But they've already reenacted the, the scene and they've shown that she went from 122 miles an hour to 130 right before she drove through the intersection. I've read books by John Douglas, a former FBI profiler, and he describes in his books serial killers. And he said these men knew what they were doing. They made conscious choices. In many cases, they planned and orchestrated and strategically worked out their crimes. They made choices. They knew what they were doing. And they were committing despicable evils, and they became addicted to it. And so we have to recognize the fact that sin results in certain types of psychological and physiological consequences. And David is saying, as my sin is confessed, as I get right with God, there is a rejoicing and there is a joy that God replaces instead of that guilt and that brokenness and that hurt and that pain. God renews and restores and replaces that with joy and with gladness. And there is a psychological and a physiological effect to that. Sin has consequences on us physically. Think about the people that we see. Our, our boys work at Payless over on Greenbush. And they talk about a certain store a couple doors down. And the people that hang out there and the types of things that they are inhaling into their body. And some of them are probably in their 30s or 20s, and they already look like they're 85 years old. And there's a reason for that. Many times, sin makes us old. Sin has various physiological consequences that results in serious phys physical problems. And some people have enough money to pay enough doctors and take enough medicine to avoid some of the physical consequences. But there's still the guilt, there's still the unhappiness, there's still the lack, lack, lack of joy, there's still the emptiness that has to be replaced with God, with a right relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And David says, I have messed up, I've blown it, I have sinned, I have committed this transgression, this evil, this sin, this iniquity. God, forgive me, restore, renew, bring me joy, bring me rejoicing, bring the gladness that can only come from you. He wanted his testimony restored and his worship renewed. Verses 13 through 15. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He speaks of his testimony and the fact that when there is sin, when there is a brokenness of our relationship with God, it affects our public testimony. But when we get right with God, we can even have a better witness in opportunity with evangelism. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. 
and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. There is a response to getting right with God, and there's a response to the joy in the heart, and it comes forth with words of singing, of worship. Some people avoid church because their life is full of sin. And they won't come and get right with God or get right with God and then come, nor will they come to church because they won't get that situation taken care of. They won't get that sin taken care of, and it affects their ability to come into worship. Now, I would rather they get right with God and then come in, okay? Um, We don't want them to bring their sin into church necessarily. We want them to get right with God. But I also make an appeal at the end of each service to uh, have people get right with God because maybe they were blinded by their sin and they need to get that confessed and taken care of before they walk out. But the point is that sin affects our worship. It affects our praise. It affects our testimony. And David wants that restored. He wants his testimony to be effective. He wants that joy. He wants to be able to worship freely. He wants to lift up in a, in a symbolic way, clean hands and have a pure heart. And he wants to be able to come and offer sacrifices of praise once again with joy and with thanksgiving instead of feeling the load of guilt and the pressure of of sin on his heart and preventing him from having that joy and that praise and that worship. And then finally, David embraced his brokenness and his contrition. And we come quickly to a close here. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. David says, I don't want to come anymore with sacrifices that mean nothing because my heart is far from God. He wants to come with a heart that's right with God and offer the sacrifices with a pure heart, with full integrity and honesty before God. And Israel's going to be guilty and go into captivity, still going through the motions of worship in some cases, offering sacrifices, taking their animals to the temple, but they had a form of godliness and denied the power thereof, and they end up going into judgment, still offering sacrifices in some cases. Their hearts were far from God. And David said, I don't ever want to go through the motions again. He said, I want my heart to be right, so I know how to approach my God with a broken and a contrite spirit, humble before God, seeing my need and having a sense of my unworthiness. And we have a lot of arrogance and a lot of pride in Christianity. We have a lot of even pastors today that are big on personality and big on power and big on their popularity, but they're low on purity. And I remember a particular leader of a seminary saying, we sold our denomination by seeking power over purity as he confessed to his denomination having some very serious sin issues in the denomination. And he said, we sought for years power, popularity, praise of men over purity. And I respected the man for 
uh, making that statement, but he had a, a lot of cleaning up to do within his own denomination. David knew what pleased God, verse 19. Whoops, I went too far. He knew how to approach God with brokenness, with a contrite spirit, and he knew what pleased God. Ritual, David is saying ritual without repentance is empty, vain, and useless. God wants our heart. And David, from this time forward, he never wants to repeat those sins. He wants to constantly and consistently come before God with a whole heart, a right a heart that is right with God. And it's so important for us to keep those short sin accounts and to examine ourselves. And again, Sunday night, as we uh, observe the Lord's table, it's another time of specific concentration on the cross of Christ and the importance of examining ourselves before we take part in that memorial, in that observance. And it's another time for us as believers to once again look at our lives But in Micah 6, in verse number 8, and I close with this, we know the verse well, the previous verses uh, speak to the fact that Israel, Judah, was coming with sacrifices, even willing to offer the firstborn, the offspring of their own uh, lives. And he says, "God, God doesn't want sacrifices if our hearts are not right with him. And in Micah 6, in verse number 8, we read, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We are reminded there, as we are here in Psalm 51, that God wants us to come to him with a whole heart, and to embrace that brokenness, that humility, that contrition that pleases God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for David's testimony for this psalm that reminds us of our need so often of repentance. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder and the promise in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much, Lord, we need that cleansing and that fellowship restored as we confess our sins to you. Lord, help us to have the broken and the contrite spirit, the humility that David expressed, and help us, Lord, to come before you with whole hearts, humble hearts. And, Lord, may we desire uh, to have a purity of our lives, uh, both within and without. And pray you guide and direct in the remainder of the week. Keep us safe. Bring us back, Lord. We pray on Sunday to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here, and hope that you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to being back together on Sunday, unless the Lord comes. If the Lord comes, that would even be better. Our reunion will be in heaven. All right. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday. Attention everyone, there's choir practice as well.